Hi, hello, hola, and hello. Welcome to My Kids Think I'm Cool, but podcast. A podcast about getting knocked up in a foreign country, families living abroad, and raising children in a different culture. All while trying to keep your cool and not lose your shit. I'm your host, Jackie, an American Filipino mom living in Denmark, and my kids think I'm cool, but... I finally got a job after six months searching for a job, a full-time job. I finally got a job, and this is what this episode is about. I interviewed a a job-seeking coach uh, here in Denmark. Her name is Carrie Ann Dubang. And we talk about how to get a job in Denmark. And I actually followed the steps, uh, some of the steps that she recommended for me. And I scored not just one job, but two jobs uh, here in Denmark. And I'm really happy about that. And and these were just small tweaks I did with my uh, CV and what I did when I saw the uh, job posting. So this is a really, really great episode for anyone, any parent or anyone that's looking for a job in Denmark, because we all know how difficult it is to find a job in Denmark. And when I followed some of the steps that she um, shared with me from putting a photo on my CV, I just got some calls in and uh, I landed two uh, full-time jobs in Denmark. Of course, I'm going to pick one of them, uh, and I already did, and I'm really excited to start um, start soon. So, yeah, and this episode was pre-recorded, um, so you will be hearing our interview before I got the job. So, and then when I did that interview, I put the steps into my CV and what I did when I was job-seeking, and uh, I landed two jobs from there. So, hope you guys enjoy this interview about uh, job-seeking and how to get a job in Denmark. Hi, Carrie Ann. Thank you for being on this episode of My Kids Think I'm Cool podcast. Thank you for taking the time to be here. I know you're busy. So before we jump into the job seeking, I know it's really important for a lot of internationals or expats about job seeking because it's really difficult to find a job here. I want the listeners to know a little bit about yourself and why you're here in Denmark. Thank you for having me. Really happy to be here today. I arrived here in Denmark back in 2003. I was traveling the world solo, kind of gone around the world and met my Dane in India on a beach in India. So ended up coming back here to Denmark because he was hired here. So it was better for us to return here than it was the UK at that point. Awesome. I feel like a lot of stories start as I met a Dane. Right. I also it's met a Dane too. So, <laughs> it's the modern day once upon a time, I kind of joke around sometimes in my webinars that it's some kind of you know back in the days with the Vikings that they used to go out and rape and pillage and whatever. But then, of course, what they used to do is bring back these maidens to their villages, and it's kind of the modern day Vikings. You know, they'll go out into the world, bring people back, and I kind of jokingly talk about it's to uh, stimulate uh, society and the economy so that there's more people paying the taxes. But it seems to be working. There's a lot of people that are meeting Danes and then return here because of love. Yeah, I definitely came here to Denmark because of love. Uh, my husband's also Dane and I met him in the US and we he took me back. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> that's the thing. I think, you know, certainly for me, I, I remember when I met my then husband, it was, you know, we were on a beach and I knew very little about Denmark. And it was only when I kind of, the friends that I've met and were traveling around with and kind of ran up the beach and was like, okay, what do they do in Denmark? What what can I chat to this guy about? And we came down to the, uh, they do butter, Lurpak, of course, and they do pigs because of the bacon. Trying to impress him, I was like, oh, you do bacon. And he was like, sorry? <laughs> that was not the best opening line to uh, to somebody that could have been the potential. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it went well. Married, two children, still here. So everything's good. Yeah. So it did work. It did work. work. Bacon. Remember that one, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least I give you credit. I definitely knew about Denmark, but I did not know where it was uh, when he said Scandinavia. And I was like, yeah, all I know is Scandinavia, Finland, Sweden and Norway. 
I did not know Denmark was part of the Scandinavian. So you were at least knew where it was. I knew that was it. I knew where it was. I knew it was a part of Europe and, and wrongly assumed, of course, that it was very similar to the UK. So didn't think to do any research or, about it. But yeah, I got the lowdown from the people on the beach there in India and uh, and bacon and butter is apparently the way to go. <laughs> yeah, I went even lower, <laughs> I have to admit. I said, oh, you speak Dutch? No. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's a common one, though. My dad used to introduce me to people. So when I was over in the UK visiting, if we're in a pub or whatever, he'd say, oh, my daughter's visiting from Denmark. Yes, she speaks Dutch. <laughs> like, no, dad. No, no, that's not the way it is. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I feel like I'm like, should I correct them or should I just let it go? Yeah, just let it go. Yeah. Let it go. <laughs> What was your biggest culture shock when you moved to Denmark? I said there were two. One that I can remember that really stands out was that the Danes don't queue. There's no queuing. And coming from the UK, it's it's you know it's inbred. It's in our DNA. So queuing was a big issue for me. Huge issue. I mean, even traveling around the world. I mean, I can always find a bed to sleep. I can find you know something to eat. But very often there was a queue. There was some kind of order. In Denmark, there's, you know, it doesn't exist. So the queuing was a huge culture shock. And I think the second was the society where you don't hold doors for one another. I found out subsequently that it's, you know, it's it's a show that the women are just as able to do things. So we don't have chivalry quite in the same way that we have in the UK and maybe in some of the other places around the world. But that was literally a slap in the face going into magazine at Kongsnutor and got the door in my face because you never expect somebody not to hold the door. So yeah, huge culture shocks in, in terms of the environment and, and its people were certainly cues and holding doors being chivalrous. Yeah, the holding doors is very much in a topic. In the groups I have in Americans in Denmark, there's some people like, why don't they hold the door for us? And it's such a big topic. It's like, there's one part that's like, you should hold your own door. The other one's like, no, they should start opening the door. And I guess it's just a cultural thing and how, how uh, people are raised. I'm definitely going to teach my kids to hold doors for yeah. other people because that's really important to me too. Yeah. And I haven't had a door to my face, but now I'm prepared like to catch the door when when it comes. But that's it. I think when you when when you know to expect something, you know, when we're at the crossing now, it tells you which direction to look because there are so many people that cross over and get run over from bikes in Copenhagen. Then, you know, we know to expect something, but I just didn't expect that, you know, the door in the face. And I I think I was occupied, so it was kind of a double whammy. Because if I'd have expected it, then then of course I'd have, you know, I'd have been uh, preoccupied and holding the door and making sure that it didn't hit me. But I think it's that cultural expectations and, and that's, it's a huge part of some of the webinars and some of the work that I do is expectations versus reality. And again, over the years, it's very different from where I was and, and what I first encountered to where I stand today and my understanding of, of Denmark and its people. Yeah, I think a lot of people that comes from outside expect that and then is surprised that it doesn't um it doesn't happen. And I'm used to it now. I I don't expect it so much. I'm used to it. Yeah. But I'm I'm still opening people's door holding it just yeah. automatically. I guess it's just in us to do it. I notice or if I do it, they look at me weird. <laughs> Like yeah. why are you holding my door? I'm like, I just want to. I don't know. It's just automatic. Something I cannot get rid of when you yeah, grew up I, with it. I think it's a really important thing as well. And that's something that I do in, in my day-to-day -day work is if something feels comfortable for you and as long as it's not breaking any rules or legislation, then then keep doing it. It's part of your identity. It's going to help you to to resonate with with who you are. So I hold doors for people and I don't get annoyed with them if they don't say thank you because it, it's me that's chosen to do that. So, you know, giving way in the car or, or giving, you know, space for, for other people to do stuff and being considerate. I'm not doing it for thanks. I'm doing it because that's what I'm used to doing. You know, for me, it is part of, I'll say it's part of my DNA, but I have to say there was a process of, of settling down here in Denmark where I moved very far away from who I was. I kind of became a little bit watered down because it was very much about trying to fit in with the environment that 
you know, I kind of lost who I was. And then the process of recognizing that and then, okay, what matters to me? And what matters to me now is this, you know, if I've got an opinion or if I've got something to say, then you say it. And it's not to hurt or to harm. It's because something's bothering me enough for me to want to air that. And the same goes with, you know, holding a door or now I've learned the art of touch. So when I'm in, you know, pre-corona, in the office, then it'd be okay to touch my colleagues on the on the shoulder whilst we're talking or to thank somebody with a pat on the back. And these are all things that I see as a kind of amalgamation of the two cultures. Because mm-hmm. in the UK, you know, it's the handshake, it's the distance. But in Denmark, once you're you're used to people and once they're in your circle, then it's to greet each other with a cuddle, with you know, this very closeness. And you'll see friends. They've grown up together. So they'll sit on a couch together with arms over each other or legs over each other. And they're very comfortable. And I think I've learned that comfortable nature of the Danes and mixed it with the consideration of of the Brits and, and what we have in the UK. And I think that's really important for everybody from a new culture is to understand the important things to you from your culture and then to take on board only the things that you kind of agree with in the new culture with a view to forming you know, what you like and and the way that you want to exist in your new location. Yeah, that's a really good way to to look at it, especially when you first moved to Denmark and everything's so new and questioning it. You and I have been here for a couple of years now, so we're kind of used to it. But, Mm. you know, when you're a newcomer here, everything's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, this is how it is here. So it's, yeah, it's something that you get used to. And then I've noticed I'm so used to it. Then when I go back to the U.S., I'm like, okay, now I have to think the way I used to be. It's yeah. like you have to kind of get yourself to back to how you were before. Yeah. So it's exactly. like switching the mind. But I find that it's funny because I identified it. I was on the plane to the UK. The plane was, you know, as though I was still in Denmark because I was surrounded by Danish people. But I came to the counter at the hire car place and the woman said to me, of course, the obligatory, have you got a reservation? But then she said to me, how has your day been today? And it threw me because it wasn't a functional question. It was something about me and my feelings. And it was, and I didn't know how to answer. It really kind of threw me. But now I know the second I get on the plane, then it's kind of to switch that mode back on where, okay, now you can speak to people. Now it's, I can always speak to people and I've chosen to do that, but I've got to be ready for the questions. So when they come that I'm not flown into that kind of flabbergasted, I don't know what to say or how to respond. Yeah. And don't, you don't want to seem rude. Like, uh, why are you asking me that? <laughs> exactly. And I think that's the thing. I think I came across as quite rude to her because I didn't answer because it just completely shocked me because I wasn't prepared for it, you know, for that, the, the pisser passer, that friendly talk. I just wasn't used to it at all. I'd gone years without it. And then all of a sudden it was there. It kind of a slap in the face and didn't didn't answer the way I would have done. But now I'm very much aware of that, that, you know, once you you return or once you're in a different environment, that it's kind of to switch on another persona or another expectation, if you would. Yeah. And once we switch back to Denmark or Denmark mode, that's how I say it. It's like Denmark mode. It's like, okay, I can go back to how it was and it, it's it's normal. And I feel like I switch back much quicker because I'm like, okay, I'm home now because I'm considered yeah. Denmark home now. Yeah. And my old home, kind of a visitor, a tourist in a way. No, I'm, I completely agree. I feel very, very much the same. Denmark is home. Uh, when I go to the UK, I feel like a visitor. But the other place for me is uh, India. I've spent half of my adult life in India. I've lived and worked there. Although for me, like now, I, I have the desire because of Corona, I've not been able to travel to the UK. So I want to go to the UK, but it's more for the food. I'm missing Chinese food. I'm missing Asian food. So a really good curry. And of course, fish and chips. Everything Pepper. else you get here. Yeah, right. But for me, it's it's India, because when I come to India, that person that comes out of the plane is confident and motivated. And I know the people and I know how to get a bargain and I know how to, you know, I, I just know how it functions. And I still feel like me there. I still feel that it's home. That's really great. Now you have like three cultures going on and you know how to function. And isn't it weird how the three cultures is just you have to act a certain way in all three of those cultures 
And there's families or people here that have four or five cultures going on within them. And it's just, it's so amazing just to see that that's how you know how to act or talk or manners are different in every country. Absolutely. And I think the thing is for me, I think traveling before I came to Denmark really taught me a lot about acceptance about understanding of different cultures and people and and you know culture and food culture and and religion because you don't need to agree and you don't need to follow but to have an acceptance that requires a certain level of understanding and for you to have that you've got to have this inquisitive nature you've got to pose questions and i think when you travel you naturally have that because you have the you know this this exciting world in front of you that you want to go out and discover and i i see that as well in a lot of the internationals that i work with that they they have these wonderful expectations they have this beautiful drive for understanding uh denmark and its people and the culture what can be hard sometimes and what can be really really kind of heart-wrenching is when i come into contact with people where they've had a really hard time that they're feeling quite isolated or they're feeling like they don't know which direction to go in and that becomes really really difficult i can help them to to help them to navigate but when you see you know when people relocate you know that they come with the you know the energy boosters going and and the power and and energy is just on high and when you get these people where the energy is just at zero and they just don't know the direction they're going in it really is quite upsetting because you know that it's taken them a long time to get to that point and to witness somebody in the stage of their lives can be quite distressing sometimes to to experience but it happens i know we're going to come on to to job search and kind yeah. of employment uh, side of things in a little while but that's that's one of the things that i see here uh, we get the extremes of the newly arrived and newly energized and motivated and then the you know people that have maybe lost their way a little and looking for a little bit of guidance but i remember you know, I've been on both ends of the spectrum and had that despair myself and had that, you know, where you sit home. And back in 2003, when I arrived, we only had two English speaking channels. Streaming didn't exist. The internet was around, but there wasn't much there. You know, I cut myself off and I was I was isolated. And the thing I needed, of course, was a network to come out and to meet people and to interact and to boost my energy by being around other people. But I found it very hard to do that when you're demotivated and when you don't know people and, you know, everything seemed like a struggle. So it's really, I think for me, the position that I'm in now, my my professional career is very much tainted and dictated from the path that I've had previously and the personal struggles that I've overcome and gone through because it helps me to, to empathize and really to understand the place that somebody is uh, as an individual when I speak to them. Yeah, when you said that you've seen the bright eyes when people first move here, they're so happy, they're so excited for a new beginning. I call that the honeymoon period where it's just yeah. everything's new, you're enjoying it, you know, you think you're going to make a lot of friends or you're going to learn the language right away. I've I've been there. And then, you know, 6 months, a year later, you're just like, "Man, this is not mm. how I pictured it to be." Yeah. And then all those little exciting things start to annoy you. <laughs> Like for me, it's like, I just want to cook one thing and I have to use Google Translate. I don't have to use it now, but before it's like, I have to use Google Translate to translate every yep. single ingredient there is. And yep. that started to uh, start annoy me. And it's like, ah, why am I, you know, putting myself through this? So sure, I've been in exactly the same. And I think that's what it was. I isolated myself a little. I came from the UK as a professional before I started traveling. Um, I was a, a professional in a very highly accomplished in the field that I was in. So I just expected to, to walk straight back into a professional setting here in Denmark. And that just didn't happen. And, you know, this, this isolation and like you said, lack of friends and this network and, and support network. It really pushed me into a place where, you know, the highlight of my day was going to the shop, going to Furtex to buy something for dinner. And like you say, you know, I'd need something for a soup and I didn't have the translation for the word or I needed to buy a stamp to send something. And I had no idea of where to buy a stamp or where and how to do it. And everything, just 
everything was a struggle. It was just, it was hard work. It took energy. And, and that was the thing that I found that the more energy it took for me to do the daily stuff, the more you kind of stayed at home because it was your safe cocoon, right? Mm. You, you could control that environment. But once you were out there in this unknown environment, it was very difficult to control because you didn't know the game. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And it's very difficult for you to find some of these things. Yeah. And for me, my my biggest that I can remember was going to the bank in the weekend. I was like, what? It's closed. How does anyone do, you know, get things done here? They're like, they go during work period. I'm like, how can you go during work period? You're working. And yeah, yep. it was just like a big, like a surprise for me. Now, since we are uh, talking about work and we've just kind of touched a little bit on how hard it is for internationals or expats or immigrants to kind of get work here. And I wanted to just jump into that. What do you think is the biggest hardship an international has trying to get a job here in Denmark? I would say it's communication. It's communication because in order for you to communicate effectively, you've got to understand the environment or the target audience that you're communicating to. And the absolute number one problem that I see time and time and time again is communication because it's it's the way in which you communicate to recruiters. It's the way in which you communicate yourself and your skills and your experience. It's the way in which you contact and communicate with them, you know, whether it be via email or via telephone. This understanding of the the workplace and understanding of the culture here is paramount. And if you don't understand what's expected of you, if you don't understand this culture of Friday beers, you know, you don't have to be a part of it. You don't have to drink alcohol, but you have to understand what it's about, right? This idea of the social aspect of, of networking and, and liking your colleagues and getting along with them is really, really important. So I would say all boils down to one word, and that's communication or lack of communication. If I was new here in Denmark, how can I find or how can a listener or someone new here in Denmark find a job? What steps should they they take to get a job in Denmark? First of all, I would advise you to reach out and, and to build your understanding first. Of course, what tends to happen is if we're going to buy something, if we're going to purchase something, we tend to do our research on it. We'll, we'll look for reviews. We'll understand if there's alternatives. You know, we'll put in the effort for that purchase to make sure what we're doing is not going to waste anybody's time or money. Now, when it comes to trying to gain employment, what a lot of people do is we assume wrongly that it's exactly the same as back home. And it really isn't, it doesn't work that way here in Denmark. So what I would advise you to do is first and foremost is to increase your knowledge of employment procedures and the way things work here in Denmark. The way you can do that, of course, we've set up a non-profit. So we have a non-profit which is called English Job Denmark. On there, we've got an abundance of materials. So we've got articles, we've got webinars so videos, we've got guidelines, we've got checklists. You can go in and get all the information. But some of the really top topics that you need to be looking up is workplace culture. Understand uh, the flat hierarchy within the workplace. That's really, really important. Once you've got those and you feel, okay, I know what would be expected of me if I was to get hired, then you start working on your platforms of communication. So by that, that would be your CV or your resume, as it's sometimes referred to, and then your cover letter. These two tend to need a lot of work when we're from abroad, because what we do, of course, is we communicate in a style that that is, it's a way we communicate in our home countries. And it's with our target audience in mind. So in I've worked with a lot of people from the States. So a lot of people in the States, they don't include, for example, in the resumes, a photo because, of course, there's legislation in place that says you're not allowed to. That doesn't exist here in Denmark. And, and really, the way it works here in Denmark is that you need to prove that you can do the job, but you also need to prove that you will get along with the existing team. So unless you can prove that aspect as well, then they're not going to hire you. And so one of the biggest 
issues that we have as as hiring managers. I also work as a, a senior recruiter and HR business partner. So one of my jobs is both hiring people, uh, training them up and, and helping to retain them, but also working together with companies with a view to helping them to build the pipelines, to bring in internationals and helping to not only to onboard them, but once again, to retain them once they've actually got them. And teaching others how to recruit internationals is a huge part of my job. And really, one of the biggest considerations is this review process and how you review an application when it comes into the organization. And what tends to happen is, as with every aspect of life, snap decisions are made. So unless we communicate in a way that is familiar to the Danish recruiters and hiring managers here, your application is going to be overlooked or they aren't going to pull out the details that you really want them to pull out. So that's where the cultural understanding comes in because you need to have the cultural understanding enough to be able to put in the right details. But then you've also got to communicate the right things with a view to show not only can I do the job, but I'm going to fit in with your team. I'm quite a nice person. And that's where different things like, you know, the image, the photo of yourself comes comes into play. It's really, really important here. It's really, really important in, in terms of before you want to try and go out there and, and to find employment, it's really important for you to do your research. So research and, you know, even if you give yourself the first month after arrival or even the first two months, or if you're listening to this today, no matter how much time you've been here, if you're looking to make change or you're looking to to get on the career ladder, then really give yourself an amount of time. So whether it be two weeks or three weeks, and then research everything you can about workplace culture, about the way you should communicate, about CV building, about cover letter building. The research is the important part here. Okay. Yeah, that's a really good tip, especially with the photo. Um, coming from US, so the photo was a very big issue for me for many years. And I'm realizing, because I'm currently uh, job searching here and there, and I get more calls call back when I have a photo yeah. versus not having a photo. Yeah. And so that is a really good tip for any listeners that are currently job searching, that a photo goes a long way, even though you don't agree with it, but it goes such a long way with getting an interview or even just a call. That's all you want is a call. Yeah. Just to see who you are. That's all you need. And, you know, I think what happens is when we're in our home countries, we send in an application and, you know, it's kind of the competition is all, it's all relatively even, you know, the playing field is relatively even. What happens here is we come and we've got a different, you know, a foreign sounding name very often. Mine's certainly very foreign sounding. And, you know, if you've got a name like Ali or Mohammed or, or some of the other names, again, they don't sound particularly Danish, like the Jonas or, or Mess or, or, you know, some of the others, uh, very, very Danish names. Now, it's not to say a Mohammed can't be a Dane, but the thing is, as a recruiter, what they're doing is making snap decisions, certain bias and stereotypes that are attached to certain names. Of course, we've seen Politiken have put out uh, some recent statistics and some recent articles about names and the likelihood of getting hired with a certain name. And is it in a name? We've seen that, you know, the same candidates changing the name to, to be a more Danish sounding name does get callbacks. So unfortunately, you know, that we we can't skim over it and say that a name doesn't matter because it does. But by putting an image in there, you know, it's it's very much like back to the day when we started to read. You know, we started with pictures because it's the quickest way to communicate. And so what I would say is that Danes, you know, bottom line, Danes are functionalists. So that's why the reason they don't they don't make that much small talk. You know, we were talking just a second ago about this small talk and this, you know, talking to people and interacting with people. And here in Denmark, they don't do that. So unless there's a function in what you're saying or doing, then, you know, don't bother doing it. And when you're sending an application, what we want from you is is for you to be really concise and for you to communicate very quickly and effectively what you can do. And coming back to this picture, this image that's on there, 
If you're applying for a role that's customer facing, then what we want is a nice picture where you show some teeth, smile. It's not because we want to inspect and make sure that you've got good teeth and you won't be leaving to to dentist appointments. It's to see how approachable you are, how friendly you are. So yeah, this image really goes a long way to this cultural aspect of of both understanding uh, the culture here but also the importance of the fit and getting on with the rest of your colleagues uh, in the workplace. And the smile or that picture is kind of a window into someone's personality. It's not just words on paper. It's more of a, like, I'm opening myself up to, you know, this opportunity. And I think that's a really, that's a really great way to look at it because for me, I was like, I really don't want to, you know, I want my work to show for my background, not like yeah. a picture of myself. But if you think about it, a picture just makes it more personalized. And Denmark is all about how you work with people. Yeah. And a picture opens that up for them. I agree. And I think that's it. I think it's really important to understand Denmark and and certainly, you know, coming back to the, the children issue, that children are raised here to be almost unique, right? My my son, when, when he grew up uh, at one stage in his schooling, he found it particularly tough and he needed uh, headphones. So he was given time. He was given a desk at the back of the, of the uh, class so that he could take a time out, but still be around them. Mm-hmm. So they worked with him on an individual basis. And after six, seven months, he kind of came back and he's part of the class again. But because he was allowed that individual time to, to really be unique and, and to find out what he needed, he found a way to, to fit in and, and to get along with the rest. And that's what we're looking for in an application. And that's what can be particularly difficult for, for, for internationals to understand that we're, we're not looking for a clone of other Danes. We don't want you to, to pretend to be a Dane. We don't need that. Because it's it's everything you're bringing with you that we find attractive. You know, this international mindset, this this cultural understanding, this understanding of retail within the country you've come from, or whatever it is that relates to the position you're applying to. But really, this uniqueness, your personality, that's what we need to understand. And that's really what a lot of us as foreigners, that that's what we miss. Because we've been very used to sending out this kind of blanket approach where it's, you know, in all honesty, if we reviewed our CV from from our back in our home country, it tends to be quite dull. It's black and white. It tends to be quite a long read. Whereas here in Denmark, we're looking for something else. We're looking for something a little special. We're looking to find out who you are. So that personality for that to shine through. One of the best ways that you can show your personality on your application, I've just thought of a quick point, so I thought I'd mention it, is to have a hobbies and interests section in your, your CV. Now, very often, again, in other countries, we tend to leave this out. But having your hobbies and interests section on there, it, you know, together with this photo, we've got this image of the smiley, friendly person, approachable, professional, all the things that you want to communicate without us reading any words. So it's, it's time efficient. We see it really, really quickly. And then with things like your bio or your profile section, again, it's really concise. It tells us something about you. And then with the hobbies and interests, what we're doing is making an assumption on how likely you are to fit in with the rest of the team. So we were just talking about sports before we uh, started recording. And one of the things I put on mine is that I'm a triathlete and that I train for Ironman. And I have to say, whenever I'm going out to companies, once I've sent out a brochure to them for my HR business partner work, working as a consultant, that it tends to be the first thing that they ask me about. So it's it's kind of building this common ground with people that you don't know. And, and the more detail, the more personal detail you give, by personal detail, you know, we're not talking about shoe size or, you know, past medical conditions, but these small personal details, such as your hobbies or interests, what you're doing is giving them an insight into the type of person you are and how likely you are to be either organized or to be active or to be interested in something else. So it just gives us a little snippet of who you are and it can help us to make a decision based on that. And it can also be a really, really good starting point for a conversation, which is the most important thing. 
Yeah, that's definitely an icebreaker for the conversation. And it, it's not so tense in the conversation and then start on you know the business side or whatever you're going to be talking about um, getting a job. So yeah. hobbies and interests is definitely a good good tip for people to have. In my American CV, I don't have hobbies and interests. I it's so professional. Uh, it's so what I did, what have I accomplished? This is me, very bland. How much revenue I've generated? Exactly. Education. So in Denmark, it's such a different culture, and I wanted to go into a little bit of the work culture in Denmark. Mm-hmm. What is The difference with the work culture in Denmark versus compared to the UK or the US? The main difference is the flat culture here. So it, it's flat in terms of, you know, the environment is relatively flat. And it's also flat in terms of hierarchy. So what that does is it changes the structure. It changes the workplace, the dynamics of the workplace and the, and the way things work. So the workplace as a whole here, it's it's based on trust. So because of this flat work structure that we have, we don't have this micromanagement that exists in lots of other places. Now, certainly in the UK, I was a manager in the UK. And when I moved to Denmark, I've been a manager here for many, many years as well. But back in the early days, my management style was was very reflective of the way that I managed in the UK. And of course, in the early days, I batted a few heads because that way of managing people is just not the way it's done here. So micromanagement and, you know, really being over somebody's shoulder and telling them how to do things is just not the way. So here it's more about trust. So we talk about this flat hierarchy. So you will potentially eat lunch with both the receptionist, the delivery guy, the canteen assistant and the CEO and heads of department. It's normal that you sit across the table from from your colleagues. I have to say that's one of the biggest things that freaked me out in the workplace here in Denmark was this, you know, everybody stands up and goes to lunch. So 30 minutes from 12 until 12.30, the entire office just closes down. And and for me, the the entire, just the thought process of it used to stress me. And I've never been one for stress, but I just, I couldn't get my head around the mentality because it was, you know, we're all leaving our phones, we're all leaving our customers and our emails and inboxes. It just didn't make sense to me. But over the years, I've realized what it is. And it's about this social aspect. And the Danes value very much that when you're in work, that you're in work to work. So you very rarely see Danes uh, shopping online or scrolling social media. It just doesn't happen. Because once they finish with their task, if they're done and they have nothing else to do for the day, they can just say it and be gone. They can leave. So it's this flat structure and this trust, it means that the way in which you're managed and also the way in which you work is very, very different because the environment's different. So what tends to happen is what in Denmark is that a manager, uh, if you're in a team meeting, you can also interject, you can come with new ideas, and you can also disagree. That happens very rarely, I know, in the US and certainly in in the UK, where we don't disagree if a manager said something or if it sounded like, okay, this is an order or this is the way we're going. We would very rarely question that. But here in Denmark, you're actually expected to contribute and you're expected to speak up. And the way they help you to feel accustomed to speaking up and, and feeling comfortable with your managers is things like this sitting down and eating lunch together and Friday bar. So they may have, you know, either a Friday brunch. I know in some of the companies that I've worked in, we had a, a Friday champagne brunch or, you know, they'll they'll have these different ways, but it's the social aspect that they're looking to to bring you together so that you build those relations with your colleagues so that when it comes to the important stuff, like being able to coordinate and be able to communicate as a team, then you're going to excel because you don't or you no longer see the, the ups and the downs with regards to status or title. Then it's about achieving the objective within the workplace. Yeah, I totally understand that because I, when I started working in Denmark, I was completely blown away of the structure, how everyone eats lunch together, how there's Friday beers. That was even, whoa, it's like you guys drink in the <laughs> office. I was like, is that allowed? 
Like, that was the first thing that blew my mind was Friday beer. Someone, yeah. the CEO walking in our office with a pack of beers. It's Friday, guys. It's like, what? what? <laughs> Start handing out beers to everyone. It's like, okay, this is a, I, I really was just blow, my, blown away when I saw that my CEO walk in with a pack of beers and just opened it and started drinking with everyone as we just sat there and started drinking together and talking about our week, our day, uh, what's going on, not just professionally, but also personally, you know, yeah, yeah, it was really nice. It took me a little bit to get used to that, but now I don't know how often Friday beers happen now because of Corona, but it's even in the university structure too. I was surprised that that it was also university. So it's just, it's just part of life here in Denmark is Friday beers. I think more and more companies are doing it. So it's either a Friday beer or a Friday ketchup, or it could be, you know, certainly the lunch culture, I, mm-hmm. I'd say, is a huge change. Because you may have, you know, in, in past work experiences, had a lunch break where you take your lunch break. But very rarely is it where you go with a whole department or where you sit across the table from a manager or, or you know, head of the company. And I have to say, that really unnerved me. Because in my world, I'm answerable to you. And so for me, I put them above me in terms of status, in terms of title. So for me, I was always very apprehensive about what I talked about. And it really kind of unnerved me to, to leave my workload and then to sit with these people. And it, it, it's something that I had to adjust to. And over the years, it's taken me a very, very long time. And coming into contact with job seekers, I've found that it is a big problem. It's an issue for, for a lot of people to get used to that. And I think that's really, really important as well, you know, with with my earlier points in doing your research, mm-hmm. because when you start reading up about this and when you start understanding the expectation of you within a Danish workplace, then you start to realize where you would fit. When you're coming in from abroad and you've never worked in Denmark, it can be really difficult for a recruiter to 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 hire you. Because we have a huge gamble there. We want you to be a new hire that's going to stay there. And and what tends to happen is if, if it's a bad hire, it costs a lot of money, it costs energy. And at the end of the day, it reflects on the team because they've spent time getting to know you, to teach you, to train you, you know, to integrate you. And then what tends to happen is, as you may have experienced here in Denmark, we have something about stress. So stress culture is a really big concern here. And the reason being is that we don't want you to be stressed in the workplace. So as a HR professional, when we're hiring people, we need that new hire to be the right hire. So it makes us very, very, I wouldn't say skeptical, but cautious (laughs) when it comes to receiving applications. And when you come from abroad, we need to know that not only you can do the job, because the majority of people can. You, You have, you know, all the ticks for everything you've sent. But the question mark is very much on, will you fit in with the team and communicating that? And these, you know, Friday beers, these lunches, these sitting down and and talking to people, no matter whether it's the receptionist or the delivery guy or the canteen assistant or the CEO or or VP of of a department. But, you know, you have to treat everyone as equal. I've seen this hierarchy kind of working in in real time where we've run a number of courses pre-corona where we were in person. And then what we do is on our roof terrace, we'd have lunch. And the CEO of another company, what we do is we set it up as a networking event so that we could leisurely eat our lunch, but then we'd invite other companies to try and get our candidates hired. And what we found is that from certain cultures, uh, hierarchical cultures, that they would only target and only speak to the CEOs or heads of department. And we really had to work on that aspect because what happens is in a Danish workplace, everybody has an even say. So unless you treat the receptionist, the canteen assistant, or the guy out in the parking lot that's, you know, picking up rubbish on your way into interview, unless you treat everybody the same way, you're not going to get your foot in the door. It's not just a cultural understanding, it's a real shift in in understanding that suddenly everybody's equal. And you have to not only acclimatize to that, but to demonstrate it in the way that you're talking and, and interacting with other people within the company. Yeah, that's 
really good way to look at it because when you come from a different culture, like for me in American culture, that no one eats together or you're not even talking to the person that's picking up the rubbish at the parking lot. Maybe some, there's very rare, very rare occasions on the person. But when you come to Denmark, everyone is just talking to each other. It doesn't matter what title you have. You are talking, you guys are having summer parties together, you're having Friday beers together, everything. So yeah. I can understand when you say as coming from a recruiter, you need to be able to fit into that mold. You're not going to get hired if you're just going to avoid all, you know, all parties or all socialization. In Denmark, it's really known to be socializing within within a company. Yeah. Exactly. And it's, it's acknowledging those lack of, of hierarchy and status lines that exist in different cultures. And that really, really helps once you kind of eliminate that, both in the way that you communicate and in the way that you kind of approach your job search. It really, really changes things. And that's a really good tip for any of the listeners to just understand Denmark in a way. Denmark in all countries are so different in, you know, culturally professionally you know it really is and and that's the thing I think both professionally culturally you know aesthetically things are different and I think very often because it's Europe and because it's so close to a, a number of other uh, huge European countries we expect it to be you know very similar and it really isn't it's it's very different and you know the what I normally say is that if we're traveling what will happen is we may take a travel book with us to to get the lowdown on on somewhere. But people fail to do that and to do that research when it comes to job seeking. And that's where we need to be spending our time. So the the job search, the cultural hierarchy, the workplace culture, understanding those aspects and really getting to grips with that before you start sending out your application. Because Denmark is such a small country. If you start throwing out applications, then, you know, it doesn't take very long. And you've kind of exceeded the... the, the the grasp of the applications that you can send out, that you can get something that we call a recruiter's red flag. So you don't want to be sending out applications just willy-nilly. It, it's got to be very targeted and you've got to understand what you can offer before you start going out there and trying to communicate it. What is your secret to landing an interview for a position? That's like the hardest part for anyone. Once they pass the application period, you know, they're having the right, the pictures, they've listened to this podcast or, you know, any of your webinars and your teachings. What is the secret to get a call? Usually the hardest is to get the call back. And, and then that's when you have to get through to HR. And then, then you meet your, your potential boss. What yeah. is the secret to get past that point? Get them to like you. Simple. In a lot of other cultures, it's to communicate that you can do the job. Forget that aspect. You need to be able to communicate that within your application, of course. So if they're looking for a certain set of skills or a certain aspect of experience, then have that very clearly labeled in your, in your application. So something in your bio would be great. So some of the keywords from the job vacancy you would communicate in your CV itself. And then in the skills section, incorporate the skills that they're actually looking for. But really what you're looking for, your main aim is to be likable. Because if they don't like you, they don't want to sit across the table from you. They don't want to pass you in the hallway. They don't want to stand by the coffee machine and say hi to you. So above all else, make sure that what you're doing is, is portraying somebody that is quite friendly and likable. The way that you would do that is we just mentioned the hobbies and interests. You would also, within your cover letter, put something in there that's quite personal. Uh, let them know that you've just arrived in Denmark, but you're loving this bike culture, although you haven't been killed just yet from crossing the roads on the wrong side. You know, something that's that's humorous, something that's very personal about you in where you are currently. The last client I had hired was somebody that within the CV had written that they enjoy baking, they enjoy working out, but they only work out because they enjoy baking a little too much. So in the sign off of their cover letter, what they'd written is that they look forward to coming to interview, but don't worry, I'm going to bring my famous cookies with me, looking forward to joining the team. And it was such a lovely sign off that he was offered three offers, job offers from sending these out. So he could pick from, from where he wanted to work. And it seems playful. It seemed almost unprofessional. 
when we come from the outside. But what the Danes are looking for is, is this personal aspect of who are you? And if you can find a way to communicate who you are in a professional setting, plus give them a little insight into how you would fit in, that's what's going to get you the interview. So try and get them to like you. You can do that by communicating in CV uh, cover letter or by giving them a call or interacting with them prior to sending your application. And again, on that telephone call, the only thing you're aiming to gain there is for them to like you. Because if they like you, they're going to be intrigued. They're going to keep talking. They're going to ask you questions. They're going to remember you. So that when, when you send the application to them, they recognize that the lovely person they've just spoken to is, ah, oh, wow, okay, that's them. And they're going to read your application with enthusiasm, with intrigue. And a lot of, of what we do as recruiters, you know, it, it, it's about being mindful and giving you the respect as a job seeker, as also being present, but we're only human. So, you know, something's happened at home or we're stressed or we've got 300 applications for this one role and we need to get through it in half an hour. You know, we're super stretched just as everybody else is within the workplace. So you've got to help us. And the easiest way to do that, honestly, hand on heart, it's to be likable, relate to them and find a way to communicate to them that the, the draws the recruiter in. And then they will be intrigued enough to want to know more about you. It's so funny when you say that, call them. I get two different answers when I talk to people in Denmark. No, it's not the culture to be calling or yes, you should call them. Or if if uh, a person wants to call a, you know, the hiring manager, whoever is on the other side, they get really, really nervous and they don't know what to do. Maybe they're not going to like you. You don't know what kind of questions to ask. How can we, how can a person get comfortable to call the hiring manager or whoever is on the uh, phone number on the posting? I'll come back to the answer in a second, because what I'd like to do is just to address whether you should call or not to start yeah. with. Yeah. Um, so, so with regards to a call, I would only advise you to call if there's a telephone number in the job description. So if there's no telephone number in there, then don't call them because what they've done is not put it in there for a reason. Mm. So you don't want to go from a friendly stalk where you'll have a look on the website or you'll, you know, have a look on LinkedIn for them. You'll go from a friendly stalk to actually stalking and, and irritating somebody by finding a number and contacting them if it isn't in the vacancy. If it's in the vacancy, then always 100% contact them. Now, the reason I would tell you to do that and something I hope is going to help to change the mindset of, of anybody that could be nervous about contacting them is you have been given the opportunity to interview for this position. Are you going to take it? And that's what this call is. You are initiating your own interview. You're controlling it because you've got the questions. So why would you pass up on that opportunity? It doesn't make sense. So if a number's there, it means that they want you to call. They want you to be intrigued and, and motivated enough to find out who the company is and who you're going to be working with at the end of the day. They want people that are interested in who they are. So always do it. What questions should a person ask the inter uh, interviewer or whoever's on the job posting? What is the right questions to ask that person? Because you can just say, hi, um, when are you guys going to interview? But what is a smart question to get them intrigued to give you an interview instead of asking for it? This is also a really easy one when you think about it, but we tend to, yeah, we tend to overthink it. So when you're reading a job description from now on in, what I want you to do is all the questions that raise, write them down. So write them down in notes. You know, we are reading this job description for the first time and Questions are going to spring to mind like, is this a new position or, you know, where is the last person going? This is a really good question to ask because you're interested in whether it's a personal development, whether it's somebody that's been hired within or whether it's a new position. Is it going to take a number of months for you to move in and to really make this position feel like yours and to incorporate some of the aspects that's needed? What I would say is as a general rule when it comes to asking or making contact with a company, the questions that you should ask should be role specific. So specific to the role that you're going to be working in. So things about whether it's a new position, 
what percentage of the day would be spent doing X? Could you tell me about the, a little bit more about the work culture or the team culture? Do you, how do you communicate? So things like that is really building more of an understanding of the role. It's building an understanding about how you will fit. And this comes back to the original point that what recruiters are looking for is somebody that will fit in. So if you call with the same questions and the same concerns about looking for the right fit for you, suddenly the recruiter or the head of department, because it tends to be project-based, these telephone numbers, it's very often not a HR uh, person. It tends to be somebody on the ground that you you could ask about the actual role itself. But I mean, what they're looking for is somebody to fit. So when you ask your questions, sometimes what's going to happen is they may ask you a question as well. And what I found by by sheer evidence of, of training people to do this is, one, people get hired through this. Two, you may build up a relationship with the person that you've spoken with enough so that maybe the position you had previously intended Uh, is not for you, but they say, hang on, we've got another two positions coming up. And I think one of those would be perfect for you. So you've got this world of opportunity there, literally at your fingertips. But by not calling them, you're actually saying, actually, I'm not interested in your role. I'm not interested in working for your company. So all it takes is for one person, just one other person to have made that call. And they are likely going to be considered for the role. So If there's a telephone number on a job description, then always make the call. If not, then don't bother sending your application because it's showing that you're really not that interested. So always, always, always make that call. That's a really good tip because people usually don't call. They just either don't think it's important or they're scared to, but it's really important. It's like giving you the opportunity to schedule your own interview, basically. Yeah. Per personal experience, that's what that's what I did and how I landed my first job in Denmark. And I wasn't even in Denmark when I, I, I got the job. The CEO put the phone number on the listing and I knew that I wouldn't wouldn't get a call back. First of all, I wasn't in the in Denmark. It was a good reason why not to call me back. And my background was more marketing instead of sales. So I had to not knowingly had to sell myself to him. And I made the call and personality first went out first and then business. It was weird. And then interviews. So a good tip is to call if there's a phone number on there. And that's how personal experience it worked for me two times here in Denmark is getting the job is by calling. It works. And I, I understand the, you know, the reticence and all the, oh, the sheer, I don't want to disturb people. I don't want to get in contact. I understand the nerves of it because it's you that's initiating it. But if you don't do it, you're passing up that opportunity. And and really, if you do do it, what I would say, a couple of tips is always ask them if they have a couple of minutes to speak to you when you first connect with them. So don't just go into the spiel. Don't just assume that they have time to speak to you because the telephone number's there. So ask, let them know that you're interested in the role. Ask them if they have a couple of minutes to answer a couple of questions that you have and then kind of go for it. At the end of the call, what I would advise you to do is to let them know that you are going to send your application and ask them if it's okay that you connect with them on LinkedIn. So at the end of the call, always tell them your name as well, because for a lot of people, unless you're a trained professional that's worked in a call center, you won't pick up on people's names when they first initiate the call. So to summarize, what you would say is something along the lines of, thank you so much for taking the time. My name's Carrie Ann. And I'm really happy to hear more about the company and the role. I am going to be submitting an application to you later today. Is it okay that I connect with you on LinkedIn? Now, the reason you ask that is because in Denmark, Danes are Mm non-confrontational. So what we're doing is we're using their weakness against them because a Dane will never, ever say no to you, ever. So now you've let them know that you've got an application on its way to them. You've told them your name. And you're going to gain them as a connection on LinkedIn so they can further look into you and your background, your profile. So you've suddenly gone up a notch in terms of the recruiter's eyes, which means that they could potentially spend a little bit more time uh, reviewing your application, which is really, really important. So always call. 
Yeah, that's really good tip uh, among other tips that you have mentioned on this uh, podcast and I think a lot of the listeners will get such value off this especially with the first first time internationals or expats moving to Denmark and then people that are struggling they've been living here for a couple of years it's been one year no luck with even a call and with these tips that you have shared and provided to the listeners it will hopefully get some of them just a call back or now now know the steps to getting an interview if there's a phone number there they can call it's basically when you talk about it it's like welcoming a call they want a call it's not that they're just putting their phone number there for fun <laughs> they want to see people interested in the position they're looking for somebody to be interested in them they're looking for somebody to share the passion they're looking for somebody to join the team So what we want is is that passion, you know, reciprocated. We want somebody that, wow, this sounds great. Can I ask you a couple of questions? They want that. Mm -hmm. So when we don't get that and you get a pile of, you know, between 80 to 200 applications and not one single person was called, it's kind of a little, oh, okay. You review them, but you remember the people that have called. So yeah. Always good to make that call. And I mean, you've shown it there, demonstrated it twice with calls that have gone through and led to employment. I've had the same with clients. Uh, I tend to, I'll, I'll work with clients sometimes on a one-to-one basis to, to try and help them. And we always teach call and, and getting in contact with the company to, to put across your interest for a role. Yeah, thank you for all these great tips. I feel like we can talk about different cultures, how to get land a call, how to make a CV, but we've run out of time and maybe we can do when we launch this uh, podcast we can do a small 15 minute live on on Facebook and to just talk yeah. about different other things on how to, you know, better a CV or just get that call. That's the yeah one thing or how to prepare for an interview but thank you so much for you know sharing your I call it gold for any international <laughs> anyone looking for a job these are such great tips that uh, not a lot of people know about they're just kind of like you said sending it out sending it out sending it out hoping and crossing their fingers for a call back and they don't they get disappointed if there's there isn't a call back yeah. and you just basically explained why they're not getting a call back or why you know how they can get a call back is calling calling yeah. them making the initial step <laughs> yeah showing genuine interest last question how can people get a hold of you especially with your coaching or some of your tools to get a job here in Denmark DIY version, all the articles, all the checklists and things that I mentioned earlier can be found on our website, which is englishjobdenmark.dk. Uh, the website's in there. It's a non-profit. You will see to enter some of the articles, there is a small fee of six euros. That fee goes directly back in. And what we do is it's into initiative supporting internationals into employment. So don't be scared off by the fee. We've got people into employment that actually still continue to pay the fee with a view to paying it forward and actually still continuing to support expats looking for employment. So englishjobdenmark.dk or Instagram. I started posting on Instagram daily. Uh, so we've got job search tips on Instagram. So you can find me at Kerry Ann, uh, all one word, uh, yellow background. You'll find me there with all the different tips. Awesome. Thank you so much for this and being on this episode and giving all these great tips for the listeners out there struggling with a job and yeah well um thank you so much and then i will have all the links on my website that will go directly to carrie ann so you don't have to rush over and get a piece of paper to write everything down everything will be linked on my website on my podcast website okay until next time guys bye <laughs>
Thank you.